Hi everyone, I'm Hussein Hishmat, I'm an interventional cardiologist, and welcome to the 16th episode of CardioBuzz, where we have an interview with one of the international experts in the field. CardioBuzz is your weekly cardiology podcast. We present late-breaking research, conference proceedings, guidelines, and interviews with key opinion leaders. Cardio Buzz is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. We all know that heart disease is the number one killer worldwide. And what really kills in heart disease is either a myocardial infarction or a left ventricular dysfunction heart failure. And as an interventionist, when I am facing a situation that has both myocardial infarction and severe left ventricular dysfunction, we view this as one of the toughest situations interventional cardiology and it can get very scary. And the only solution in these situations is revascularization. But we know that revascularization comes with the risks of myocardial injury and impaired organ perfusion. In cardiac surgery, there is already an entire system that perfuses the organs while the heart is paralyzed, which is the bypass machine. Unfortunately, surgery is not always available. Many patients refuse surgery, and others may be declined by the surgeons because of their high surgical risk. Here, catheter interventions represent the only hope. In addition to the gadgets available to handle the coronary occlusions, there is a need for devices to support the circulation and blood pressure during cardiogenic shock or when the heart gets stunned because of complex coronary interventions. In these situations, the last thing that we want to have is a patient crashing on table or shortly after. And to review these devices that support the heart and the circulation during complex PCI and cardiogenic shock, I call these devices the guardian in the cath lab. I'm glad to host today one of the international experts in complex coronary interventions and mechanical circulatory support, Dr. Lorenzo Azzalini. Dr. Azzalini is the director of complex coronary interventions in Virginia Commonwealth University. He's an associate professor of medicine also there in Richmond, Virginia. But before joining Virginia, he was the co-director of the Chronic Total Occlusion Intervention Program in San Raffaele Hospital in Milan, and that was one of the centers of excellence in entire Europe. Dr. Azzalini, clinical and research expertise is in chronic total intervention occlusions, atherectomy, mechanical circulatory support, and acute kidney injury after coronary intervention. He has authored more than 170 international publications, and he got cited more than 3,700 times. He received numerous international awards in intervention, He's also a member of the editorial board in, of Euro Intervention, Cardiovascular Revascularization Medicine, Canadian Journal of Cardiology, and among other journals as well. He's also a guest reviewer for other 20 journals. And I personally saw him working in the cath lab. I had the pleasure to work with him several times in the cath labs, and I would describe his skills as amazing. We're glad to have you in the show, Dr. Azzalini. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hussein, for the introduction, the kind words. Uh, it's always a pleasure working with you. Thank you, sir. 
So we have currently several devices to support uh, the circulation. We have intraortic balloon, impella, tandem heart, and echo. We'll take them one by one, detailing the mechanism of action, the strengths, the weaknesses, the supporting evidence, and the best clinical indications, focusing on high-risk PCI and cardiogenic shock. But, but first, a basic question. What defines a high-risk PCI? Well, that's actually, Hussein, a great question because there is a, a lot of controversy uh, surrounding this issue and there is not a consensus. So we have to decide if we're talking about a high-risk case, a right, high-risk patient, a high-risk procedure. So there is some general um, um, agreement in the community that uh, about this complex of chip of complex or of high-risk but indicated procedure which are given by the intersection of basically three axes of complexity. First of all, patient comorbidities, such as advanced age, heart failure, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, peripheral arterial disease, prior cabbage, etc. Second is the complexity of the coronary artery disease itself, left main disease, chronic total occlusion, bifurcation, multivessel disease, severe calcification, etc. And the third complexity feature is the hemodynamic compromise. Low ejection fraction, low blood pressure, low uh, cardiac index, high feeling pressure such as LVDP or a wedge pressure and uh, um, right atrial or uh, pulmonary artery pressure. So it's really an intersection of many features that uh, intersects and cluster together. Some patient might have a few of these characteristics on each of these three axes of complexity and some others might have others. But it, it's uh, for sure a complex um, definition and it, there is no consensus in the community. Great. So we're talking about a high-risk uh, patient, high-risk coronary vessels and a high-risk myocardium. And to, su to support uh, among these three dimensions, I've been always fascinated by the heart-lung machine. If you look at the history of cardiac surgery before heart-lung machine, there was almost no cardiac surgery. And now with the heart-lung machine, cardiac surgery is different. So maybe the circulatory support devices, they can transform us the same way that uh, bypass machine transformed cardiac surgery. So let's start by the most basic among them, which is the intraortic balloon. How much flow can the intraortic balloon provide? Yes, for sure. The intraortic balloon pump or IABP has been out there for many, many decades, and it's the most widely and uniformly device available uh, throughout the, the world. Um, so it's a device that is, as you know, it's uh, inflated in diastole uh, and deflated in systole. And in general, it can provide just a very modest uh, augmentation of uh, cardiac output of about 0.5 liter per minute. The uh, 50 milliliter uh, device, the biggest one, which is 8 French, can uh, provide up to maybe 1 liter, but not more than that. So it's really not a lot. Uh, to support a patient for sure in cardiogenic shock because when there is a shock, the, the cardiac uh, output is very reduced and by definition, the cardiac index uh, below 2.2 defines a cardiogenic shock. So uh, in this situation, just a moderate incre in increment of the cardiac uh, output of 0.5 liter per minute is not enough. For complex PCI, um, you know, it's if we are in a in a dire situation, same thing, same principle. You need much more than that. 
So in my opinion, this is a device that can have a very reduced indication nowadays, provided that the cath lab um, uh, can count on other devices, more, more advanced devices, which we're going to review in a few moments. But for, for, um, for example, I might consider an artery balloon pump in a high-risk condition such as an interior stand that has had uh, some modest hypotension during the procedure, maybe some neural reflow that was corrected successfully, but I am concerned about the possible um, uh, downward spiral towards shock. So for preventative um, purposes in at-risk patients, when the, the shock has not uh, begun yet, I might consider it. But if the shock has begun, uh, if this downward spiral has begun already, this is not enough. Great. So in many cases, it's insufficient. So let's move on to the uh, next machine, which is the Impella. It has been there for more than almost a decade. So, and it provides bigger support, the intraortic balloon. What evidence do we have that it works for high-risk PCI and shock compared to the intra-working uh, Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. It's been out there for a decade. Probably the first papers came out about 15 years ago, actually, from, uh, from the first immense studies and, uh, and the early European and American experience. So Impella is a microaxial pump that is placed uh, uh, usually via an arterial uh, transfemoral route across the aortic valve. There is the inlet of the device that sucks the blood from the LV and pumps it up with uh, using the Archimedes screw principle outside the heart into the aorta where the outlet uh, is uh, placed in the ascending aorta. Um, so it can provide in the newest generations um, up to a four liter the Impella CP, and uh, up to 5.5 liter per minute, the Impella 55, which is, however, much larger, and this last device is placed uh, surgically uh, via either a, a femoral cat down or an axillary artery cat down. Um, so it's a device that has uh, been studied for both shock and high-risk PCI. So for shock, um, there have been uh, some research going on in the past uh a decade, uh, starting with the uh, Eisler shock trial, and uh, that uh, in, towards the end of the decade of the 2000, randomized just a very small number of patients, I think around 25, to either IABP and Impella, and the primary endpoint was uh, cardiac index. Uh, of course, the Impella provides better hemodynamic support than the um, than the balloon pump but this is not enough to claim its uh, superiority. So another trial, more recent, I think it was published in 2017, about 50 patients randomized the Impella CP, uh, the, the patients to uh, either Impella CP or intraortic balloon pump in cardiogenic shock. The primary endpoint was to a 30-day mortality, and there were no differences between the two devices. Again, uh, in, this highlights the complexity in cardiogenic shock research, very hard to enroll many patients, probably 48 patients uh, or 50 patients. Uh, the, the sample included in this study is really too a few to detect significant difference between groups. And also remember that cardiogenic shock is a, um, a system uh, disease. So it does not only matter what you do in the lab. It also matters how the patient comes to you before it comes to the lab and after what happens as well in the ICU, CCU 
So it's very difficult to find a, a device that is able to impact outcomes compared uh, with another devices. Um, so another another scenario where Impella is used is high risk PCI, and the most important study in this field is Protect to uh, Protect to which was published in 2012, so uh, just 10 years ago, a randomized patient with severe LV dysfunction and multivessel disease or left main disease to either intraortic balloon pump or impella. The primary endpoint was a mortality, uh, was a 30 uh, day incidence of uh, major adverse events. And there were no differences in this, uh, with this endpoint, but surprisingly, uh, and after all, not so surprisingly, when the authors analyzed the pre-specified uh, uh, endpoint of uh, 90-day uh, major adverse events in the uh, per-protocol population, they found a significant difference in favor of the Impella. And this is speculated to be due to the fact that with Impella compared to the interactive balloon pump, we have much better hemodynamic support, which allows the operator to feel more confident and comfortable during the procedure, still providing more extensive revascularization with higher prevalence of uh, a rotational thoracotomy, longer atherectomy time, so better lesion preparation, better standing procedure uh, compared to just uh, you know crash and burn approach that we use if we just have a very mobile support such as the intraortic balloon pump. So unfortunately, this was not the primary endpoint of the trial, and so a new trial is ongoing called Protect Four which is powerful for clinical endpoints um, and uh, uh, will feature follow-up for at uh, least three years. I, I think uh, three years, the primary endpoint, and then the follow-up will be extended up to five years. And we randomize patients to either Impella, CP, versus no support, or with the possibility for uh, operators at their discretion to use interpretable part in this uh, control group. So really excited field to be involved in. Very good. So Impella is provides a larger flow compared to the intraortic balloon. We have a trial that suggests a superiority in high risk PCI, whereas in cardiogenic shock the environment is much more complex. So I'll go to the remaining two devices, the tandem heart. What does that do? Wow, the tandem heart. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a, it's a device that uh, it's quite complex. It hasn't been used widely across the globe for sure. Uh, it's been studied mostly in the United States. Um, uh, so the tandem heart is a device that has two cannulas, large bore cannulas. One is placed in the femoral artery, uh, similar to the ECMO. And the second one is placed uh, into the femoral vein. It goes all the way up into the uh, right atrium. Then a triceptal puncture is performed and the uh, tandem heart um, cannula, the venous cannula, is actually placed transeptally into the left atrium. This provides two functions. So first, it sucks the blood that is already oxygenated in the lungs, and it sends it into the, um, into the machine that propels it into the arterial side of the circulation. And the second effect is unloading, because sucking blood from the left atrium it uh, allows left ventricular unloading, which we know that increases the oxygen consumption of the myocardium. And it is something that the uh, conventional ECMO cannot do. And is a limitation of ECMO. So this device uh, has been studied in cardiogenic shock in just two small trials. One of them was even in a single center, just 30, 40 patients many, many years ago, almost 20 years ago. 
and the uh, you know there were differences uh, in uh, in the hemodynamic support that uh, the tandem part was able to provide compared to the intraortic balloon pump, but these were not trials power for clinical endpoints. And it's a device that it's um, not very uh, widely available. It's quite expensive. And of course, the main limitation besides the large bulk cannulas is the need for transeptal puncture, which is not like a common skill set among interventional cardiologists, especially uh, with your random standing at 3 a.m. in the morning. It also requires like EEE guidance to be implanted. So multidisciplinary collaboration and, uh, and the experience with the high-risk PCI is just anecdotal from small series. So they're really a niche device at the moment. Great. So let's go back to the oldest device, which is the ECMO. It's probably the oldest device. VV ECMO, of course, is to support the lungs. And to support the circulation, we have VA ECMO and we have the ECMO lava. And I guess it's... Uh, probably the most convenient device if we have right ventricular failure. Uh, could you give us an idea about the role of ECMO in high-risk PCI and cardiogenic shock? Yes. Curiously, ECMO is more available than Impella around the world, especially in developing countries. Um, for example, in Latin America, uh, they have more, much more availability of ECMO because it's some device that is already taken from the OR, from the cardiothoracic surgeon, expertise and is um, also used by, in, some, in many cases, by the uh, cardiothoracic anesthesiology groups. So um, it's a device that is that quite versatile because as you pointed out, can be the ECMO so supporting just the venous side in case of COVID pneumonia, for example, or PE, or it can be venous arterial, the ECMO, which is widely used in case of cardiac arrest cardiogenic shock, and then uh, I will get to the lava at the moment, but basically it's a device that is for sure the first uh, first-line strategy when we have a cardiac arrest patient, because we not only we need to propel the blood around uh, to feed all the organs, the, the heart, the kidney, the brain, etc., but we also need uh, oxygenated blood, and a patient in cardiac arrest that has not oxygenated blood, so all the other solutions are not uh, advantageous, including Impella. So uh, this is, uh, especially in cases of cardiac arrest, refractory shock, when you also have a hypo-oxygenation uh, of the blood, this is the go-to device. So uh, with regards to the numerous iteration uh, that some groups around the world, including the, the Henry Ford group in Detroit, are using uh, is the lava ECMO. So this is a... Uh, uh, the VA is like a uh, arterial, uh, like a like conventional VA ECMO, and LA is a left atrium. So what this does is uh, similar to the uh, tandem heart. So the cannula of the ECMO, so the ECMO has two cannula usually. One arterial the place that is placing the femoral iliac artery, and the other one, is a venous cannula through the femoral vein that goes all the way into the right atrium. With lava ECMO, what we do um, it, is we have this cannula that not only terminates in the RA, whereas with a transeptal puncture, it's brought into the uh, LA. So this is a solution comparable to the um, tendon part, which not only um, 
propels the blood around the, the body, but also unlawful ventricle. And compared to the, the standard tendon part, can also provide oxygenation of the blood. It's also true that the tendon heart can also be, uh, uh, you can also add an oxygenator to the tendon heart, achieving a similar, a similar solution. Uh, so, you know, the, the burgers in this field uh, are blurred and uh, we have similar solution, but this uh, lava ECMO has the, uh, probably the ad, um, promising advantage to be able to provide unloading to the left ventricle. Because in a patient that is totally supported by ECMO for several days, the problem is that the aortic valve is not opening and the left ventricle is not squeezing. So what happens is that there are many instances of massive LV thrombus, aortic thrombus that can embolize for sure, especially when the heart starts beating again. And also the um, um, uh, uh, excessive ceiling uh, uh, pressure and volumes in the uh, left-sided uh, heart uh, uh, create the, the substrate for pulmonary edema that can, you know, injure the microvasculature in the lungs and then create ARDX on the long term. So lava ECMO seems to be advantageous in this setting, and a small series was presented, I think, at PCP by the uh, Harry Ford group. Yeah, and we combine also, we can combine ECMO with uh, Impella. Yes, that's uh, and that's what I meant. Also, what, what I hinted at when when I said that the, the borders are blurred because you can, uh, if you don't have the lava ECMO solution, you can just put a, a regular ECMO and put uh, an impeller to provide unloading. In some cases, also intraortic balloon pump has been uh, tried, but in general, it's more established with the impeller. So you have the ECPELA solution from ECMO plus impeller, so you can unload the left ventricle. Allowing, uh, so, so preventing the, 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 the buildup of thrombus in the LV in the aorta and the, also the unloading promotes solution of the, uh, and prevention of the pulmonary edema. So really many, many different combination and, and many cases combination of devices. So it's a really an exciting field to be involved there in. Great. These are all great devices and, but they need a whole environment of care combining efforts between cath lab, the ICU and cardiac surgery. And the final question would be, what, what's your advice on building a program from scratch for mechanical circulatory support? Yeah, Jose, and I think this is the most important thing because you can have a, even a hypothetical perfect device, which does not exist by the way, but you can have all these devices, the ADP, the tandem heart, the Impella, the ECMO, uh, Lava ECMO, whatever, but what matters probably the most is what happens in the, uh, to the patient both before he or she got to lab and after. So the National Cardiogenic Shock Initiative uh, in the U.S., which was based by, on the uh, early experience with the Detroit Cardiogenic Shock Initiative, uh, uh, allowed us to understand that cardiogenic shock is a system-based uh, disease and also for the same reason the outcomes must be um, uh, analyzed in this context of, of a system of, of a whole process. So the National Cardiogenic Shock Initiative, what they demonstrated is that if we have a protocol that is shared not only uh, in the several different hospitals and across the different units from the ER, the cath lab, the CCU and ICU, etc., but also with the emergency medical services and the ambulances before, 
So we have um, an, an expedite transfer of the patient. Um, uh, first of all, the, the patient with the cardiogenic shock are um, identified very promptly by the EMS on the field. They are, the patient is brought to the cath lab. There is a strong emphasis on the early initiation of mechanical circulatory support. Uh, and those indications are based on right heart cath uh, data. And then right heart cath is used throughout the hospitalization to guide the decision whether or not the device, the MCDS device can be escalated, weaned, or complemented by another device. For example, you put a, a left side impella, then you would need uh, escalation also on the right side, you put uh, an impella RP, and, and this kind of decision. And this kind of initiative was able to finally abate the mortality cardiogenic shock, which was still from the shock trial uh, era in the ni late 1990s, it was still uh, just uh, two, three years ago, still in the 50%. It went down to just 28%, if I'm not wrong. So a massive decrease in more than 20% in mortality. And this was thanks to the involvement of many different players, the ER, the EMS, the ICU, the cath lab, et cetera. So there must be significant expertise and experience in all these groups of physicians, nurses, techs, etc., and buy-in by the um, mainly both the institution at different level, ER, cath lab, and ICUs, but also probably policymakers that are in charge also to allocating resources and organizing resources in the context of the emergency medical services. So it's very much more complex than just putting a device in the cath lab and hope that the magic will be done by the device. So this is why I hinted that at the beginning of our conversation that we cannot expect just a device to do all the job by itself and magically secure a good outcome for our patient. There is no magic device and even the best one will fail unless we are able to fix all the other uh, rings of the chain. Very well said, Dr. Azzalini. Uh... It has to be a, a complete environment with many players that coordinate together. Uh, I've learned a lot from this conversation. I've always learned from you, Dr. Asalini. It was my pleasure having you in our show. Thank you so much, Lucien. It was uh, my pleasure uh, talking about this important topic to you and, uh, and your community. And uh, I'm sure you're doing a, a great job of uh, spreading uh, all this uh, useful information. And hopefully we'll see progress in this field all around the world. Thank to you as well. Thank you so much for inviting me tonight. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cardio Buzz. Please follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. You will get alerts to coming episodes and you can listen to the previous ones. You can review the show and write your comments. Stay tuned for the next episode which will review the latest American Heart Association guidelines on heart failure. Enjoy your weekend and see you next Saturday.